0: Welcome to the Southcrest live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. One thing you're going to hear at this church is about the grace of God. Because we are all here because of God's grace. This is just a big hospital for sinners, and we're glad that you're here. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, starting in chapter 5, and we were sailing right along until we came to a place we've camped a while on the Lord's Prayer, or better yet, it's called the Model Prayer or the Disciples Prayer, because The Lord's Prayer is really in John 14 where he's praying for all of us. But here is a model prayer. Jesus has already mentioned, don't let your prayers be known for their wordiness and don't try to impress people with all of your vocabulary when you pray. When you pray, you're talking to God. And then he said in verse 9, he said, in this manner, therefore pray. He didn't say you had to recite this. There's nothing wrong with reciting it. But he said, in this manner, here's a model. Have these ingredients. Have these these characteristics in your prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Each of these phrases build on one another. We start with the relationship we have with God. We call him Father. Abba is the word. It's a relational word. It is a word that says we can approach God with a relationship. And, folks, can you you understand that? He's not some far-off distant being. He's not some man upstairs way off. We're talking about our Father, Abba. Now, to make sure that we remember who's in control, he says, in heaven. Heaven is the center of authority. God still reigns from heaven. God is still on the throne. He he is still in charge. So our Father, but yet we don't get too casual with him because he's still in heaven. He's our Father. Hallowed be thy name is the first petition. We're asking for God's name to be glorified not only in our life but in our world And then last week, we saw thy kingdom come. We're saying, God, we want your kingdom on this earth. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus, but we're looking for the kingdom to come in our own life. Then we come to the third petition, probably one of the hardest ones that we pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why is that so hard for us to pray? For one thing, we are saying we're going to submit our will to the will of the Father, and we are strong-willed people, aren't we? That's a nice way of saying (laughs) hard-headed. We are hard-headed. We don't like anybody to tell us what to do. And yet, Jesus said, when you come to pray, you're praying, Father, I want your will to be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Now, what does all that mean? Well, first, let's talk about when you think about God's will and as strong willed as people are, there are different reactions to God's will. People respond differently. For example, some people come and they pray this, Thy will be done, and they've got this resentment in their life. And the reason they do is they think, well, you know, God is this iron-fisted dictator who's going to rule. He's too strong to resist, so I have to give in to him. And they sort of resent it. God's will is going to be done whether I like it or not, so whatever. Well, I want to tell you, the way that you look at God's will is going to determine a lot in your own prayer life because you're not going to pray if you've got any resentment toward God like that. When Beethoven was found dead... His lips were curled up in a snarl, and his hands were clenched with fists as if to say, I'm dying, and with bitterness in my heart, I'm dying. Well, a lot of people, when they think about, well, God's will doesn't doesn't agree with what my will is, and they come with resentment in their life. And I'm sure there have all been times in our life when we felt a little resentment. We didn't like what God said, we didn't like what God did. Another reaction is resignation. They submit to God's will, not out of love and joy, but out of the resignation that what they see is certain. They they pray, but they don't think their prayers are going to make any difference. Now, you go to Matthew chapter 21, and you, it's, it's not Matthew, excuse me, it's Acts chapter 12. You read where Peter was arrested, and he was going to be executed the next morning. And so a group of believers met in a home. They began to pray for Peter. But they didn't really believe it was going to help much. Because as they prayed, an angel released Peter out of prison. And Peter shows up at the home where they're praying, and he knocks on the door. Nobody goes to the door except a little girl who goes. And she says, who is it? And, it, and he says, well, it's Peter. It's, it's, it's me. She goes back in the prayer room or the prayer group and says, well, well Peter's at the door. And they're going, he's not at the door. He's going to be executed in the morning. He's in prison. They didn't even realize that he he was at the door. They didn't really expect anything to happen. They didn't think that you could change it. They sort of resigned the fact, well, Peter's caught. He's going to die tomorrow. Not anything we can do about it. Let's just pray that it's quick and painless. That's not what it says, but it's probably what they were doing. Well, Lord, he's not going to get away, so just make it be quick and painless. People pray, "Oh, oh, well, thy will be done in a hopeless sort of way. In 325, when Constantine became the emperor of Rome, he Christianized Roman Empire. I think it was 325. Don't hold me to that. Now, there's a difference in evangelizing a nation and Christianizing it. I mean, you can make Christianity the official religion, and that's all he did. He didn't change people's lives. Well, when Constantine died, the next emperor was named Julian, and Julian wanted to turn Rome back to the heathen gods and the paganism that they had. And so there was a, a conflict that happened, and Julian was injured, mortally wounded in battle. He was dying on the battlefield. And when he was dying... He took a handful of his own blood, and he threw it in the air, and he said, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean, resigning the fact that he had lost. But a lot of people come to prayer and say, Well, God, you're going to do what you want to anyway. I might as well learn to like it. Now, there's another approach or another reaction. It's, It's recognition. They think that it's man's duty in prayer is to bend God's will so that it lines up with us. But then we recognize, no, that's God. We need to line up with him. Uh, Let me put it this way. Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a theologian, once took his little girl for a walk. And he asked her, do you want to go with me? I'm about to go on a walk. It's a beautiful day. And the little girl said, no, I don't want to go. He said, now listen, it's really pretty outside, you need to go. She said, no, I don't want to go. And then he said, you're going anyway, come on. So they went on a walk, and while they were walking, uh, neighbor says, aren't you glad you came, darling? The, look at the flowers, they're beautiful. The, the mountains and the hills, and they're just wonderful. The air's clear, it's just wonderful today. Now that you've seen all these beautiful sights and smelled the fresh air, aren't you glad you went with me? She said, no, I'm not. The only reason I went is because you're bigger than I am. <laughs> well, a lot of people come to God that way. Maybe we say, well, Lord, you're bigger than I am, and so I'm going to accept your will because there's not anything I can do about it. But then there's still the reaction of rejoicing. Your will be done. Now, did you notice the phrase that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? as it is in heaven is God's will being done in heaven yes who are God's soldiers or messengers or workers angels and every time God asks one of those angels to do something boy, they're on it they're glad to do it in fact God's will in heaven is done completely and consistently and constantly Psalm 103 verse 20 says bless the Lord you his angels who excel in strength and who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. The fact of the matter is that God's will is quickly done in heaven, but God's will is not being done here on this earth. Now, I realize that some of us have responded to God's will, but in general, The world is at the domain of Satan. We know that from 2 Corinthians 4.4. He's the God, little g God, of this age, of this world. He's blinded the minds of people so that the gospel doesn't shine unto them. And Satan's will is being done on this world more than God's will is. I'm not talking about us as Christians. So there's a need for God's people to earnestly pray that God's will will come on this earth and be done as it's already being done in heaven. So, for a moment, I want to talk to you about God's will. What are the realities? There are some distinctive realities about God's will. Now, if I knew everything about God's will and can explain it to you perfectly, I would be a genius. But those of you who know me know I'm not even in the same room with a genius. So I'm going to share with you a couple of things about God's will. That's something that people throw around. Well, it's God's will for me to do this. It's God's will for me to go there. It's God's will for me to do this. What is God's will? Well, I believe there's at least three distinct Levels, or not levels, realities of it. There's different words translated will in the New Testament. The first one is God's will of decree. The word thela, T-H-E-L-A. It it, it means this. It's used 200 times in the New Testament. It means a decree or a design, and it speaks of the eternal counsels and purposes of God which cannot be changed. Did you know God has put some things in motion that will not be changed? Creation has been set in motion. The universe has been set in motion. There's some things that will not change. Did you know that Satan and sin and death are going to be done away with one day? You can't change that. Did you know there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ? You cannot change that. There's all, and when all of us who know Jesus have died, we're going to go to heaven. You're not going to change that. God has decreed some things that are not going to change. He's God and he can do what he wants, but it's not going to change. Let me give you a couple of, of scripture references and you can read them later. But God's definite will being a reality Isaiah 14, 24. How about this one? Romans 8, 28. How about Ephesians 1, 9 through 11? Romans 9, 19, there's a bunch of them. There's just a lot of scriptures, but some things have been determined by the Lord and they will stand forever. He has decreed it. It is definite. His will is going to be done regardless of what men do, what, regardless of what men think or feel. That is the word used right here in the model prayer. We're to pray for God's perfect decreed will to be carried out on this earth just as it's already being carried out In heaven. We're to pray that God will do as He has purposed to do and He will bring it through us as well. So we definitely know there's some things that are going to happen regardless. It's it's just gonna happen. But the next two I want you to pay close attention to. Not that you don't, that that was not important, but the next one I call the will of desire. It's the word Bulamai, which means an intense or a fond wish, or an intense desire. This is what God would desire to do under certain circumstances. This word used for things that God would like to see happen, but don't necessarily happen. It's used seven times in the New Testament. Let me illustrate it this way. You go into a house, there's extreme sadness in this house. There's been the death of a child, maybe by a disease, maybe by an accident, some kind of tragedy, a child has died and someone says, well, it was God's will. Or you have a mom who's racked with cancer and her husband desperately needs her along with her small children and she is fading fast because she's dying of cancer. And somebody says, well, it must be God's will. Or you hear of a plane crash or a train wreck or people dying out on the ocean trying to get to this nation. Or you hear of famine or hurricanes or tornadoes where people die or earthquakes or fires and disasters. And somebody says, it's God's will. Now I want to tell you, you start in that context, you start thinking like that, you're not going to be a person of prayer. But I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not being a heretic here. That is not God's will. That's not his desire. You see, you say, well, wait a minute, preacher. God allows it to happen. Yeah, he's allowed sin in the world. He's allowed it to happen. When you give man a choice, there are consequences with that choice, and But but do not make the mistake of expressing these tragedies as the expression of God's will. God doesn't want anybody to perish. God doesn't want anybody to die. But they still do. Isn't it interesting? You know, I know, I don't understand the paradox, and I never will until I get to heaven, that God is sovereign and God... And man, and he's given man a choice. God is sovereign and he's given man a choice. So how does he reconcile all of that? Well, that's, a, that's an infinite concept, kind of like the Trinity. You're not going to understand all of it because it's so much bigger than us. But when, when God put, when he created this world, it was perfect. He gave man a choice, didn't he? He said, you can eat Of everything on this earth except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, stay away from it. There are consequences. If you eat of it, you will die. So they chose, and the consequences of that are still on us today. Death, sickness, evil, curse, the whole world is cursed. Creation groans to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus. If there are consequences to our sin, God didn't cause man to sin. God can't be blamed for the consequences of our sin. Really. But we blame him, don't we? Well, my family member died. Yeah. Why did they die? Because we live in a sinful world that's cursed by death. But Jesus came to abolish death. And he conquered death when he rose again. But God never intended for us to die. It's our fault. So what I'm trying to say is that when we pray, we, we, we're praying. Sometimes, well, I'm just saying no, not when we pray. When, when we're talking about God's will, sometimes we blame God for something that he didn't desire in the first place. Am I making sense to you all? new light. Don't be afraid to say amen. I brought you in here to be contagious. I was kind of hoping y'all spread out and rub off on these people. I know you're holding back. I know you are. I see it. Go ahead and let it out. I, I give you permission. But You say, well, it's one of those paradoxes. God has allowed sin, but it's not the expression of his will. He tolerates it. Let me give you some other examples. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Fear not those who destroy the body, but fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, who is that? That's God. Satan, Satan can't destroy body and, and soul because Satan's going to be destroyed himself. Well... God is able, and you say, well, is it the will of God that people are destroyed? No. 2 Peter 3, 9 says God is not willing that any should perish. But God's holiness and God's justice and God's righteousness are going to deal with sin, but that's not God's desire. That's not his strong desire. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew twenty three thirty seven. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I wanted you to come, but you wouldn't come. So a lot of times we throw that term God's will around here. We say, well, it was God's will she died. No, it wasn't God's will she died. One God's de- desire. Did he allow it? Yeah, he allowed it, but he allows a lot of things, but there's consequences of sin in the world. So we can pray. Do we pray for people to be healed? Yes, we pray for people to get well. Do you understand what I'm, ta- what I'm talking about here? Okay, the third reality is what I call the will of demand. Let me ask you something. Did God tell us in here, in the Bible, to do anything? Did he tell us not to do some things? (laughs) Yeah, he did, didn't he? So is it God's will that we do it or not do it? Yes. You see, our problem is is that we, we know what God wants us to do. Our problem is doing it. For example, is it God's will for people to come to church? Is it? You sure? You're right. I'm just teasing, messing with you. <laughs> he, Hebrews 10, 25 says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but all the more you, you exhort one another when you see the day fast approaching. Yeah, Jesus gave his life for the church. So for you to be part of the church is God's will. It's a will of command or demand. Does does God have a will concerning marriage? Yeah, yeah. He said, first of all, it's between a man and a woman. And he said, second of all, does he have any commands about Christians when they marry? Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with nonbelievers. Now, if you're already married and and I know some of you came to Christ after you were married, and you're unequally yoked now because your your spouse is not a Christian. First Peter says, "Don't leave them. You may have the opportunity to lead them to Christ." So it's not an excuse to leave them. But if you are single and you are contemplating marriage, and you're a child of God, the first thing on your mind should be: Do they love Jesus? Do they follow Jesus? Because if you marry a non-believer, you're out of God's will his desire, his purpose. He tells us that. There's so much in the scripture where he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. At a Massachusetts meeting, a, a preacher was preaching, delivering a sermon to a group of young people. And a young lady walked up to him after that meeting and said, I would like to know how we can be Christians and have our own way. Well, that concept today is very prevalent because we hide behind the cloak of grace and say, you know what, since I'm under grace and I'm saved by the grace of God, then I can live like I want to live. But listen to Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We're supposed to be living lives following the Lord. It does matter what you do. It matters where you go. It matters what you say. We're representing the kingdom. You don't hide behind grace to sin. Most people don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. They want to know the will of God in order to consider it. It is God's will. It is God's will for all to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God doesn't want anyone to perish. But now will all people be saved? No. It's God's will for believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.17. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled. It's an imperative. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. It's a guarantee of your salvation. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. Each believer, it's, it's God's will for believers to be sanctified and live lives free of sexual immorality. First Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. What part of that do people not understand that call themselves Christians? They move in and live together, they sleep together, they don't even think about it anymore but God said, no, I've got a reason for this. There's parameters here. It's God's will for us to be submissive to governmental and spiritual authority. First Peter 2, 13, I just hate that one. <laughs> Speed limits are never fast enough, never fast enough. But we're supposed to submit to the government. We happen to live in a government where we have some say-so. We are the government. Did you know it's God's will for believers to be thankful? 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says that this is the will of God. And then you've got 1 Peter 3.17. Sometimes we suffer for well-doing. When we live for Christ, there could be persecution. There could be suffering as a result of our stand for Christ. So you see that... God obviously has a will that he has spoken into being, and you're not going to change any of that. He's got a will of desire. We blame him for things that he really didn't desire to happen in the first place. But he's got a will of demand that says, you know what? As a child of God, here's some things you need to be doing that shows the fact that you've been saved. Well, in this model prayer, thy will be done is also a very decisive request. I want you to see this, and then we'll be done. Your will be done in the Bible always speaks about something we do. A lot of times we sit back and say, well, I'm just waiting to see what happens in my life. I want God's will to happen to me. Now, I understand what they're saying but in the scripture God's will is something that you do not wait to happen and we kind of hide behind it you remember the story of Jesus in Matthew 21 where the father had two sons I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing this but he had two sons and he asked them to go work in the field the older son said I'm not gonna do it and he left for town The younger son said, yeah, I'll do it, and he stayed behind. But then the younger son did not work in the field and went to town. But the older son, on the way to town, changed his mind and came back and worked in the field. And then Jesus asked the question, which one of them obeyed his father? The one who said he would and then did not fulfill it, or the one who said he wouldn't and then fulfilled it? Of course, the second one. And when we pray, thy will be done, it sometimes means that we do something in obedience to what we understand God is teaching in his word. So when we pray, thy will be done, it's a decisive action. We're going to take action. I'm going to do this. Now, when you pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, two aspects to this. I want you to see that I'm done. The well, first one is that it is a prayer of rebellion and revolution. What in the world are you talking about? I'm not advocating a violent revolution. But folks, I want to tell you something. When you're praying for your will to be done on earth, you are saying, I don't agree what's going on with this world right now. And I'm going to go against the status quo. I don't agree with what they're doing. I don't agree with the the morality or their immorality that's going on. God, I don't agree with what Satan is doing here. I want you to invade this place. I want you to stop it. I'm asking you to, to change it all rebelling against the status quo that makes sense somebody told me after the last service I, I don't really want that to go on television I'm afraid you're gonna get in trouble talking about rebe- rebellion and revolution <laughs> well I am I'm ready for the kingdom of Jesus to come and it's gonna be a revolution don't you don't misunderstand it's gonna be a complete change of what's happening right now we're not going out fighting but we're saying Lord Can you stop some of the nonsense that's going on in Washington? I don't agree with that stuff. Lord, can you stop some of the nonsense that's been put out in Hollywood? I got really upset with one of the toy makers, Mattel. Mattel. We have all had Mattel toys. Now they're going to make a same-sex doll. No, excuse me, gender-neutral doll. Really, let's just indoctrinate our children. I'm tired of this stuff. Lord, please intervene. I pray not a one of those things sells. That's what I'm talking about. You pray for, you pray for the God to change it. And we need to pray for the change to happen in our land. we need to pray your will be done on our earth, Lord. It starts in our life. Which leads me to that next aspect, a prayer of readiness and relinquishment. Lord, I want you to have your will done in my life. I'm ready. I'm ready to do your will. I'm ready to obey you. And I relinquish my own rights. I want you to live through me. Now, sometimes, and we'll get a little on this next week when we talk about our daily bread give us this day our daily bread, but we, when you pray, sometimes sometimes we're faced with a decision that's not black or white in the, in the Bible. It just doesn't spell it out. And so you say, Lord, I'm asking you for this. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to determine and, and you know, through prayer and through godly counsel and God speaks to people in different ways. But God, But God will never, ever, ever lead you contrary to the Bible. He, he won't do it. He just won't do it. Because that would make him a liar, and God is not a liar. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says later. Now, not in being obedient. We're supposed to be obedient. Amy Carmichael is a missionary to India. She was rescuing a lot of young Indian girls who had been given over to sexual slavery. One day, Amy told of a prayer that she prayed earnestly in her childhood. Her mother had told her that God is very good at answering our prayers. And there was one little thing that Amy wanted as a little girl. She wanted her eyes to be like her mom's and Her mom's were blue. She wanted blue eyes. Her eyes were brown. But she prayed one night earnestly that during the night the Lord would turn her eyes blue and she went to sleep in simple childlike faith that God would hear and answer. The next morning she jumped out of bed. She pushed a chair to the chest of drawers, climbed up, studied her eyes in a mirror, and guess what? They were still brown. So she was disappointed, confused, but then the thought came to her, even as a young child. She thought, well, no is an answer. Later, when she's an adult, now she's a missionary to India. And she is disguising herself by wrapping herself in Indian dress, sometimes staining her hands brown with coffee so that she would look like the residents of India. And she is rescuing these precious girls in the Hindu temple prostitution. And she could make herself look like an Indian, but you know, you cannot hide your eyes. And if she had had blue eyes, she would have been caught immediately and killed. Did she know that as a little girl? No. We don't always know everything. But sometimes God says, you know what, it's just not good for you. No. Sometimes he may say later. There'll be some people who say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Oh, really? I can hardly wait for them to meet Paul. (laughs) I can't. Next time somebody pulls that on you, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I prayed earnestly for this physical infirmity, whatever it was, a lot of people think it may have been his eyesight, but whatever it was, I prayed for this thorn in the flesh that he called it to be taken away. You don't think he didn't have God's ear when he penned most of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? But the Lord said no. Nope. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So why is this so hard for us to pray? Well, you're giving up control of your life. You're also, many people doubt that God truly cares for us. If you're honest, you've probably thought at one time, at least I know I did when I was a lot younger, well, if I surrender my life to the Lord and I follow him, he's going to make me marry somebody ugly and move to Africa and be never seen again. Not that there's anything wrong with Africa, but I'm just telling you, that's a long way from Texas. <laughs> Mongolia, wherever. He'll put me someplace where I'll be miserable. After all, if you follow Jesus, you've got to be miserable. Well, my beautiful wife is right in here. He obviously didn't make me marry somebody ugly. Now, on her, I don't know what she was praying for, but she got the wrong end of that deal. <laughs> <laughs> Just like most men in here, we way out married ourselves. I've had people say, Well, I I really don't want to dedicate my kids to the Lord because they may move them off. Yeah, he may do it. I've got one in Nashville. We've got some in San Diego. We've got some in Houston. And for the first time in my life, Lubbock's in the middle of something. (laughs) All our kids. But we think, well, God doesn't really care about me. You know, if if you have children and they come to you and they ask you, are you going to say, yeah, I'm going to grant this, but I'm going to see how miserable I can make you in this. Let me just see how I can really make you pay for this. That's not our father. That's not our father. We call him father. When Kenneth stood up here by me a moment ago, we have the same father. Abba father. We really do. It's hard for us to pray because sometimes it may involve pain and suffering. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. Sometimes it's hard to pray this because it goes against the flow of everything. No one, there's very few people following the Lord. And I'm not talking about in this room, I'm talking about in the world today. We're outnumbered, and it, it's hard for us to pray, Your will be done, because it's just, it just goes against the flow. But I want to tell you the prayer today is, Lord, Your will be done in my life, in my family, in my finances, in my career, in my children, in my words, in my friendships. But I go back to what I said earlier. I can tell you with no reservation, it is God's desire for you to be saved. He came to give his life for you. He came after you and you repent of your sin. You cannot separate repentance from salvation. You don't just pray a prayer we got this idea. Well, just stop right here. Pray this prayer right quick and you'll be saved. No, no, no. You've got to commit your life to the Lord. Lord, I realize I'm headed the wrong way. I changed my mind. I don't want to go this way anymore. This is repentance. I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. Guess what? God's desire is to forgive you. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died perfect life, sinless life, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So lots of people sit in church, think they're okay, but they've never committed their life to Jesus. God desires for you to come. Are there areas of your life right now that you know as a Christian, you're a believer, born again believer, you know, you know what, I, I know this. God, God could not sign his name to this. He could not hallow his name to this. He couldn't sign, I know, I know it's wrong. Well, go to 1 John 1, 9 and confess that sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your desire to have us in your family. We pray for those today who don't know Jesus. We know it's your will. We know it's your desire, your will of desire for you then to come. We pray that they would respond. And Lord, if they're watching on television, if they're watching online, however they see this, Please let your spirit speak to their heart to convince them of salvation today. And Lord, for those of us who know you, there's a lot of areas that we need to submit ourselves to you in. Forgive us of our shortcomings and failures and we confess our sin. Help us to be obedient I pray for those that need a church home. If this is the place, if new light is the place, if there's another place you want them to go, then God, put them there. I pray that people would know that it's your will for people to be baptized, that it is the first act of obedience. It is the public profession of their faith. I pray that people would be obedient. God, please bring your kingdom, and we're excited that one day Jesus is coming. Would Just come on today. We would love it. Except there's so many people that aren't ready. So we pray that people would come today making themselves ready to follow you, to give their life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555 888 You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.